0: Steelers made two coaching hires in the last week. Today, we're going to look at both of them. I'm Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the Cutting Room Floor. We're going to get through our introduction a little faster here because I want to cover a lot. But I do need to say that last week, uh, I did the first part of a two-part series on deep passing. And it's, a, it's importance in the NFL and the current NFL, especially in playoff success, We covered the offense last week. I was going to cover the defense this week, but then the Steelers made two hires. So I'm going to jump right into them. All right. We're going to start with Pat Meyer, offensive line coach. He comes from the Panthers. Before that, he was with the LA Chargers. Before that, he spent some time with the Buffalo Bills. Before that, he was in Canada. Let's jump right into this. Okay, so in 2015 to 2016, we're going to start looking at the run game. We'll talk about uh, pass blocking in a a little bit. Uh, In 2015-2016, Buffalo, he was there with Tyrod Taylor uh, and Pennsylvania's own LaShawn Shady McCoy. He was an offensive assistant there. He was helping with a lot. It's hard to know how much is him and how much is him learning, right? He comes in there into Buffalo with Rex Ryan Greg Roman and Anthony Lynn he'd end up with Anthony Lynn in the LA Chargers and if you should know Greg Roman's name because he took over the offense in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson so that gives you an idea of some of the people he has worked under so real quick in 2014 Buffalo had one 500 yard rusher okay I want this is this is a point I want to make here real really big point I want to make here 2015 Buffalo had two. Carlos Williams and Shady McCoy both ran for 500 yards. And Tyrod Taylor, as a quarterback, ran for 500 yards. 2016, the same. Two 500-yard running backs. Uh, Mike Galisi, running back. Shady McCoy and Tyrod Taylor also. They had three guys with at least 500 yards. Both those years, Shady McCoy went to the Pro Bowl. Anthony Lynn goes to L.A., brings him with him as his offensive line coach and run game coordinator. So, Anthony Lynn from his time in Buffalo saw something, and Pat Meyer he liked, brought him to into the Chargers. Bef- after they leave in 2017, Buffalo is back to one 500-yard rusher. I didn't say it to the start. 2014 was before he went there. 2015, 2016, he's there. 2017, he's gone. Okay? So, in that time. Before Pat Meyer and his guy and and Anthony Lynn and those guys go to Buffalo, they have just basically one main running back. While he's there, they had two. Shady McCoy went to the Pro Bowl. Two other running backs got 500-plus yards. And Tyrod Taylor ran for 500-plus yards. They leave. Buffalo has one 500-yard rusher in 2017. In 2016, before he gets to L.A., the Chargers have one 500 rusher. They're in the 20s in all of their rushing categories and had 500 receiving yards from running backs. I'm adding some stats here. 2017, he shows up. They still only have one 500-yard rusher. They have more attempts, worse yards per carry, 800 receiving yards from running backs. So that year, the first year doesn't always go well. 2018, the Chargers have two 500-yard rushers with Melvin Gordon, and Austin Eckler, both with over five yards per carry. They're top 12 in all rushing categories, and they have real 1,000 receiving yards from their running backs between Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler and, and one other guy. 2019, they have two 500-plus yard rushers again. Despite their injuries with Melvin Gordon, he got to 500, they use Austin Eckler very creatively. He had 557 rushing yards, 993 receiving yards. Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler combined for 20 total touchdowns. Rushing stats dropped mostly into the 20s. 1300 receiving yards from their running backs. Notice, notice that number built every single season he was there. 2020, they drop back to one 500 yard plus rusher the run game falls off into the into the ditch in Justin Herbert's first season and they get 800 receiving yards from running backs his story there 2019 uh the Chargers threw a ton more with Rivers it wasn't great uh that's and that's the season that they ended up moving on from him uh after that season 2018 the Chargers were a really good team they threw less uh, they're, I shouldn't say they threw less. They threw less and they ran more. Uh, and if you look at the way they ranked in the NFL in total pass attempts and in total rushes, they ranked higher in rushing attempts than in passing attempts. And they were a very good team. 2019, they go really pass heavy and it falls apart. Then he goes to the Panthers. The Panthers in 2019 had one 500 yard rusher. And a thousand yards receiving from their running backs, almost all of that production is Christian McCaffrey. It's just Christian McCaffrey. No one else had anything. Two thousand twenty, they've won five hundred yard rusher, four hundred receiving yards from backs, but C-Mac only played three games, and Mike Davis was your main running back. Two thousand twenty-one, the Panthers have five hundred yards rushing, uh, one five hundred yard rusher. Christian McCaffrey had over 400 yards uh, before his injuries, and they had a total of 800 receiving yards from running backs. The Panthers' time is is the one that gets the most credit, and people look at the talent, people look at the stuff, people look at the failure. There's all kinds of arguments to be made. His last year in Carolina, like people widely noted it as the worst offensive line in the league. That's, that's probably true. Uh, they had three games was the highest they had with their group of offensive linemen together. Like, the five guys that started, the most games with one set of five guys was three. If you think about that, over a 17-game season, they had three of those games with the same five guys, right? With one set of five guys. And that's 14 games left. And in those 14 games, they played a lot of combinations, but none of them played three games together. None of them started three games together. That's terrible. Another note, in Carolina, he was brought in. uh, He worked under Joe Brady, came from LSU. Uh, He worked under Matt Rule, the head coach there. Joe Brady's now the QB coach at Buffalo. Um, Matt Rule is out. It, It wasn't good. They brought in a college guy to be a head coach. He brought in a college offensive coordinator. They brought in, the whole offense was college stuff and then they had like Pat Meyer, right? And the offense just didn't work. They didn't know the the people there didn't know how to evolve their offense once NFL teams solved one thing. Like in college you can just keep doing the same thing and if you do it well, who's going to stop you? In the NFL they're going to find a way. All right, so that's the numbers. That's the numbers. I want to I want to point out that Uh, He coached with Tyrod Taylor, Geno Smith, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, and Cam Newton as far as quarterbacks that that are still in the league and could be acquired potentially by the Steelers. Tyrod Taylor had his best seasons in, in Pat Myers, on a team with Pat Myers. Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold had career highs in rushing yards on a team with Pat Myers. So he does better with a more mobile quarterback, and, and you're going to understand that better when we get into the second part of this where I start talking about the his pass-blocking theories. Um, one other note, uh, Curtis Samuel, the wide receiver from Carolina in 2020, had 41 rushing runs for 200 yards in 13 games. Uh, and Pat Meyer was the run game coordinator. The rest of his career, 45 games, he has 35 total runs. 41 runs in his one year with Pat Myers. Pat Myers likes to use multiple runners. He likes to use multiple runners, and often it's a speedier, better receiving guy and a, and your lead back. Um, looking at the Steelers, there's going to be an opportunity for someone to be an Austin Eckler, 557 rushing yards, 993 receiving yards. A Curtis Samuel had a good receiving season and 200 rushing yards. There's going to be opportunities for players like that to excel. We move on to pass blocking. I, I, I want to point out that in his two games against the Steelers, when he was the offense coordinator, the Chargers gave up three total sacks. The Steelers were averaging well over three sacks a game in the two time in the seasons where they faced the Chargers. TJ Watt had one sack, uh, was visibly frustrated multiple times in those games. Pat Meyer looks on the surface to be very good pass blocking coordinator. Um, let's get into it. There's a, there's a pass blocking clinic, uh, that Pat Meyer has on YouTube. I'm going to cover some main themes from it. If you go on YouTube, if you want to watch the whole thing, it's long, but you can watch it. Just Google, uh, Pat Meyer coaching clinic, and it should come up on, on YouTube. It's a pass blocking clinic. And I'm going to run down some things that stood out for me in that pass blocking clinic. He's a first, He's, he's a first contact guy, big time first contact guy. Coaches will always say they want to win first contact. This guy is big on it. He wants his linemen to make first contact, but he wants them to go find the defender. Like, that's your guy, go get him. Not, in and, and this is in pass protection, not the run game. Everything we're talking about here is going to be in pass protection. Not drop back, let him come to you, and then try to beat his hands. No, he wants you to go to the defender and meet him. Against edge rushers, his tackles. He wants them to go out, get hands on the guy before he gets into his rush, before he has time to sit there and set you up with a fake or something. One of the reasons he had success against TJ Watt is TJ Watt couldn't come in, see what was going, and react to it. He had guys on him from the start. He had to fight off players from the start. It took away a lot of his advantage in his intelligence, his adaptability, and his rushing pattern and his speed. All of those were limited because he was getting guys quickly on him he's not a footwork guy he's not a drop back figure it whatever the guy tries to do you counter it and negate the kind of rush he wants aggression to fit with that he uses single hand strikes his offensive linemen use single hand strikes think instead of you know two hands to push somebody think of a one-two punch right bam bam in your chest hit him in the chest, hit him in the arm, you know, drive him, just knocking him, pushing him with single-handed quick strikes away from where your quarterback is, right? Uh, The reason that's important is you're going for first contact. You're going out to meet people early. If you put both hands out there and the defensive lineman grabs your arms and just puts them down, you're done. He's passed you. That's a free runner at your quarterback. One second into the play, up at the line of scrimmage, you've already been beat. That's not what can happen, you, you can't allow that. So, he does single handed strikes. He teaches an interesting one, the, an interesting thing he taught is like a spin on the spinner tactic. Uh, where linemen are taught when they get beat up the arc, spin around and cut them off, like completely spin around, turn the other way, cut them off, and shove them out, right? Instead of trying to stay with them and just kind of drive them a little deeper, turn around and cut them off, meet them. Uh, it's an interesting one. It's it's not something other lineman coach, you know, other line coaches do. Uh it, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of rules he goes through in there. There are at most small variations there on normal pass blocking. Uh he's he's big off when you're pass blocking, you're looking at whether you have help or not. Look at the alignment, know what the other guy's responsibilities are based on what they're facing and know if you have help or not. You know, and your your strategy changes whether you've helped or not. Because if you have help, you might have to switch and be the helper for someone else. He's also not a big, you know, go find someone to, to hit guy. If you're not the, you know, we're like, uh, if you've got four rushers and five offensive linemen, it's not like the fifth guy who doesn't have a man on man to block. Uh, it has to go find someone and just go smack them. You're a helper. And where you help is determined. You know, there, there's a set of things to determine which way you go help. And then that guy that you're helping may end up being a helper for the guy next to him, right? You end up with this system where you're 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 fluid and you're helping. And that also works with the fact that you're not grabbing people. You're not putting two hands on them. You're striking them, right? So you're able to move off of those defenders and get to the next guy. Uh, overall, his system, there's a lot less... Say judgment, uh, a lot more freedom, willingness to rely on the quarterback moving. Like if, they, if we're able to drive, you know, if we're beat, but we're able to drive the guy a little bit to the right, quarterback better get to the left. Right? Don't don't sit there in the middle of the pocket and be like, no, you need to give me a good pocket. You know, like you, you need to move too. Um, and all of this stuff, all of this system and his entire approach. Facilitates his preference in linemen, which is big, long, and strong. He wants big, strong dudes with a great anchor, because the one thing in his system is is bull rushes. You have to be able to just anchor, Uh, and the uh, other more finesse moves, you just go take them out of it, right. And if you think of that strategy, you think of that approach, long arms is going to be good for reaching these guys. Strength, so you're pushing them off. One-hand strike is bam, it has range, and it has some power behind it. That's what he wants. is big, strong lineman with longer arms. Footwork isn't, isn't king in this system. You know, taking away, you take away the defender's time to set you up and make moves on you. As long as you have a good anchor against a bull rush, uh, you're going to be okay, right? That's his approach. And the fact that you're going out to meet someone farther away from the quarterback and making a pocket farther away from where the quarterback is, you have some ground to give with your bull rush. He teaches a double hop, right, Uh, to anchor. Like if someone hits you with a really good bull rush, you, you hop and then you hop again. And those two hops, that first one slows them down. The second one, you need to stop them, right? You get that leeway, right? You don't have to be the best pass blockers to work in this system. Other than Kendrick Green, the Steelers' offensive line this past year were mostly longer armed. And watching the clinic, watching what he had these guys doing, it stood out to me more than anything else that Dan Moore Jr. should really thrive in this system. Like, Dan Moore Jr. is the offensive lineman this guy wants. Just a bully in the run game, good with one-handed strikes. He did a whole bunch of one-armed blocking in college that threw me off. Makes a little more sense now. He did the two-hop anchor in college. That fits what this guy teaches. And Dan Moore is it loses people with his footwork. Well, this guy, if he loses people with his footwork, is going to teach him instead of tra- chasing the guy down and trying to be like, please, please don't hit my quarterback, you know, turn around, find him again, and shove him a good one. It'll be interesting to see if he works. I've said before, he fits the outside zone heavy run system. Uh, I like his approach in pass blocking, especially when you have guys like Kevin Dotson, Dan Moore Jr., Trey Turner. Is a guy that would work in this system, right? This this system would have been better for Trey Turner last year. These are the kind of guys he wants, and for the most part, these are the kind of guys the Steelers want too. Uh, a last note I want to give—I I forgot to mention it earlier—and I really want to—I really want to get this in. Uh, in 2018, Melvin Gordon made the Pro Bowl on Pat Myers' team with 175 rushes. When he was in Buffalo, Shady McCoy dropped from over 300 rushes a season to 203 and 234, and he went to the Pro Bowl. It's not just using multiple running backs. It's using his star running backs more efficiently and less grind on them. And if you're a Najee Harris fan and you we're sitting there saying, man, we need someone who's going to change up the Mike Thomas strategy And, you know, give him a little less workload and get some more other people involved. This is the guy. He didn't always have good second running backs. Those guys still got carries. Uh, There's room for players who are either a receiver or a running back who can catch to get rushing yards. This system really fits what the Steelers need. I'm very excited for the system, and I hope this guy can coach it well enough to make it really work. In Pittsburgh, that's my section on Pat Meyer. We're going to take a little break, and we get back, we'll get into the other Steelers signing, Brian Flores. So stay tuned. I was about to give up when I saw you coming outside the door. I'm Alex Rodriguez. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. This is the Cutting Room Floor. Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by the Behind the Steel Curtain Network of Podcasts and BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Make sure you're heading to the the site, get all our articles, make sure you're listening to all our podcasts, all of our content this offseason. It's going to be good, and it's going to continue to be good. All right, jumping right in. Again, lots to cover. Uh, second half of the show, we're talking about Brian Flores. Brian Flores comes from Brooklyn. His parents are immigrants from Honduras. Grew up in a uh, Brownsville, pretty rough neighborhood. His uncle was a New York City firefighter. He's the one that got him into football. He, as soon as he hit football, he was a football junkie. He was quick. He was smart. He was driven. He was a undersized player. He was one of those heart players we talk about. Uh, he made it to Boston College. Boston College, he played defensive back, moved to linebacker, and despite being five foot eleven and two hundred and eighteen pounds, uh, played linebacker and was second in tackles in his senior season. He was an academic All American at fantastic grades. at the At the time he was being promoted and moving up through the Patriots coaching ranks, people said it was likely that he would have been in a rookie mini camp tryout type situation where he may have earned a job as a special teams player. He was that kind of hustle effort and intelligent player that people like to have. He was described as a perfect Patriots player. One of those scrappy undersized, smart, tough, determined guys that the Patriots love, love to have as their depth and their, and their, you know, bottom of the roster guys. So, He's hurt his senior season. He doesn't go to his bowl game. He misses mini camp tryouts. The Patriots sign him to work for them. He starts out as a scouting assistant, spends two years as a scouting assistant, then becomes a pro scout, which is where he's scouting other professional teams, other NFL teams, two years of that job. He becomes a special teams assistant for two years, special teams coach and offensive assistant in 2010. So six years out of college, he's a special teams coach and offensive assistant in 2010. In 2011, he moves to defensive assistant. When you see guys bounce around to both sides of the ball, real quick like this, uh, it means someone wants them to move up and they're looking for where they fit. 2012 to 2015, he coaches the safeties. 2016, 2017, he is their linebackers coach. In 2018, believe it was Matt Patricia left the Patriots. They don't have a defensive coordinator. Brian Flores stays the linebacker coach. You'll hear people say he was never a defensive coordinator. He stays the linebacker's coach. The Patriots do not hire a defensive coordinator, and they give Brian Flores defensive play-calling responsibilities. He was linebacker's coach and defensive coordinator, essentially. They just didn't give him the title, which is something the Patriots do. I don't know what their rationale for doing that. They just, the first year you are calling the plays, you're not the defensive coordinator. I guess a lot to do with Bill Belichick's role. Like you, Bill Belichick, like Mike Tomlin, is going to have a say in the defense run. He's a great defensive mind. You're not just going to come in there and tell D- Bill Belichick what to run on defense. In 2018, Brian Flores is calling the plays in New England. 2018 should stand out to you. Because that was the year the Patriots went to the Super Bowl and held the Los Angeles Rams to three points in the Super Bowl. That was Brian Flores calling the plays. That was his defense against the Rams, holding them to three points. His defense in Miami was built off of the defense he used in New England. Now let's jump into his defense. There's two basic defensive philosophies in the NFL, in in my opinion there is the defense where you react to and try to stop the offense right you're you're looking at what the offense is doing you're adjusting to what the offense is doing you're trying to say okay they're putting three receivers out let's put three cornerbacks out they're putting they're going to run this type of slant let's let's react to it and try and cover though you know where you're trying to slow down and cover the offense there's another defensive philosophy and that is where you tell the offense what they're going to do by your actions. Brian Flores, similar to Keith Butler, is in that second camp. They want to force the offense's hands. One of the ways Keith Butler did it is with what he called hug blitzes, would commonly called green dog blitzes where you blitz a team And when they keep people in to block those blitzers, you're doing it to force this, right? You have to, now all of a sudden they're calling in a a tight end. Now instead of running around, the tight end's going to block. And the running back comes in and he's going to block. When those guys block, you add more blitzers on, right? You keep that pressure up. You are telling the offense, you're not going to come out here in four wide with just five offensive linemen because we'll blitz you and we'll hit your quarterback. You're going to have to protect more. That was Keith Butler. Brian Flores is the same way. Brian Flores, like Keith Butler, uses a 3-4 set up in their seven-man fronts. His sub-packages are different. Uh, if you want more on this, Kevin Smith, uh, fantastic article, breaking down Brian Flores' uh, defensive philosophies, his fronts, his usage of defensive linemen, lots of stuff. Fantastic work, as always, from K.T. Smith. Uh, that article, as of the point that I'm recording this, hasn't been scheduled. It, it's, it's sitting there being edited and all, you know, all the production stuff that people have to do that I'm not a part of. Uh, it is not out yet. I don't know when it will be published. Uh, but I work here. So one of my perks is I get to read articles that people once they submit them. Uh, he just submitted that. I just read it. Uh, so go look for that when it's published. Kevin Smith breaking down Brian Flores' defensive philosophies. One thing Kevin breaks down really well. Is their use of Flores' use of of a what's called a tight front, T-I-T-E, where the three-four defensive ends, which you will often hear called five techniques, five tech defensive ends, uh, or five tech D-linemen, stuff like that, they don't play a five-tech in his three-four front. They play what's called a four-I, which means you're you're inside farther. You're not as far outside as the Steelers like to line up their defensive ends when they do in a 3-4. They shift inside to almost force double teams from the from the guard and tackle. Cuz they have that inside leverage on the tackle. It, go read go read the article when it comes out for that, but the takeaway I need I want to take from it is one he makes really well. It's harder for the offensive line to put bodies on the inside linebackers in the run game. Because you have those defensive linemen closer to the guards right there. Uh, Something, it was a huge problem in 2021. Teams were able to just get offensive linemen to the second level onto our linebackers. And linebackers should lose to offensive linemen. Any offensive lineman who gets their hands on a linebacker and then loses, that's embarrassing. You know, that's the problem. If if you have a, it's, it's not expected that linebackers take on offensive line and do well. We've talked about this before on this show. Understand that that is one of the big parts of Devin Bush's bad season. There were a lot more to it, but one of the big problems was how many times he just had offensive linemen on him, and he's not built for that. Very few, very few linebackers are. So, like Pat Meyer, who fits the offense. The Steelers were on a run with Canada's outside zone with some different things, but he also looks like a great coach for Dan Moore Jr. and Kevin Dotson specifically, those big, strong guys who don't have the best footwork and aren't the most finesse-oriented players. How Pat Meyer looks to fit them is similar to how I look at Brian Flores, who the Steelers need someone to run their blitzes. They lost Keith Butler. You know, uh, that's what they need. Brian Flores is that guy. But he also runs the defensive front in his defense, that would really help Devin Bush shine. That really could be the difference in Devin Bush having a comeback season. If his other issues resolve, this can help him a lot. So that stands out to me. When you get past his three forefronts into his sub-packages, he is a very aggressive defensive play caller. Steeler fans will most likely be familiar with Flores' aggressive sub-package defense. If you think of the 2019 Miami Dolphins game against Pittsburgh, they had a specific place with where the Steelers scored a 45-yard touchdown with 17 seconds left in the half, where the Dolphins ran a cover-zero blitz, which meant they blitzed eight guys, put three into coverage, and... Deontay Johnson, with all that space, was able to get open, get a pass, and score a touchdown. With 17 seconds left in the half, and the Dolphins leading 14-3 to at that point. That play gained a lot of uh being called a tank blitz, implying the Dolphins were trying to lose the game. I have a different view of that game. Uh, the Steelers recently had acquired a very talented and incredibly smart defender, who came from the Miami Dolphins, and in that game, the Steelers seemed to understand when the Dolphins were showing a big front and blitzing, and when the Dolphins were showing a big front and dropping. That, to me, stands out more than the idea that they were tanking when they called that, or Brian Flores is just an idiot. What stood out to me is that it looked to frequently like Mason Rudolph and the offensive line, the offense kind of knew the Dolphins, what they were going to do. Uh, I don't know if you know Minka Fitzpatrick told him language, and they could hear it in, in you know, in the stadium, or if he just you know was able to give cues for certain players that were that was tipping off what would happen. I don't know how it happened, but that's that's what it looked like to me at the time. I still think that now. Beyond that specific play, let's move beyond that because that play didn't work out for them. And if you want to watch Brian Flores' defense fail, go and watch the 2019 game where Mason Rudolph carved up the Miami Dolphins. One of his best games up to the pro against a defense that was doing a lot of good stuff against people in the future. That year they were bad because they just tanked everybody. They dropped everybody. They dropped absolutely everybody who was any good. Those aggressive blitzes, though, are a key part of Brian Flores' defense. He is not afraid to gamble. He's a person who isn't afraid to fail. His blitzes have been giving teams fits for years. If you go back to the 2018 Super Bowl, Jared Goff, by the end of it, didn't know which way was up in the Super Bowl. If you look at the Dolphins' numbers, okay, we're going to go year by year. Before he got there in 2018, the Dolphins were 28th in scoring defense. They ranked 15th in the NFL in pressure rate, but 27th in sack percentage. In 2019, they got rid of literally everybody. They would rank 32nd in points, 32nd in pressure percentage, and 32nd in sack percentage. They were dead last. So, you know, Brian Flores' aggressive blitzing probably wasn't helping them when they still when, when they blitzed heavily, but they could not get to the quarterback. In 2020, that changed. They were 11th in pressure percentage. They were 9th in sack percentage. And they ended the season 6th in scoring defense. 2020, his defense came together. This is two years after he won the Super Bowl in New England with this defense. So this isn't a flash-in-the-pan defense that teams are going to figure out. right? This is one that has some staying power. In 2021... They were 16th in points, dropped back to 16th, but they were 3rd in pressure percentage and 7th in sack percentage. This is a defense that gets to the quarterback. Now here's a strange fact. The 2018 Patriots were also known for these aggressive fronts and blitzes, but they ranked 24th in pressure percentage and 31st in sack percentage, meaning you'd expect them to have been pretty bad. They were 8th in blitz rate. You're blitzing the 8th most. You're recording the 24th most pressure. And you're 2nd to last in sack percentage. With a high blitz rate. You can think of years where the Steelers have blitzed a lot and not gotten tons of sacks. It goes really bad for your defense. However... That New England Patriots team ranked 7th in passer rating against, 11th in rush yards allowed per game, 4th in scoring percentage, which is drives, how many drives end in a score, 4th in turnover percentage. So they had allowed the 4th fewest scoring drives, you know, percentage of drives ending in with a score. They were the 4th highest in drives ending with a forced turnover, and overall they were 7th in scoring defense, both in scoring per drive and in total points allowed with a heavy blitzing defense that wasn't getting to the quarterback. So while we can look at his time in Miami and say, yeah, after that first year when they got rid of all the talent, they were able to get to the quarterback, and that boosted their defense. That's not about his. what his defense is about. His defense isn't gambling to get to the quarterback. It's about dictating what the offense is going to do, what they are able to do. In my opinion, this is, this is me, his defense is about, and his defensive philosophy is about limiting the opponent's playbook. Because when they have to keep in the players to block, when, they, when your formations and your aggressiveness dictate what they are able to do on, on offense, you limit their playbook. You make it easier for your defenders to read the offense and to know what they're expecting to see from that opponent. You can look at their tendencies, and if you're looking at their tendencies, what they do against a cover two zone when you only rush four, and what do they do against if you drop into cover three when you rush four, and what do they do against man defense when you're rushing four? Well, if you're not rushing four, you don't have to worry about all of those. If you're blitzing every play, you can sit there and look and say, where are their hot reads? What hot reads do they use in different circumstances? And how do we stop those? And then all we have to do is blitz and make them go to their hot reads and then defend their hot reads. That's all you have to do. It makes it easier for a guy like Aminka Fitzpatrick, who is really good at reading the offense and figure and, and going to the right spot. It makes it even more advantageous for that player. So... Takeaways from this. Flores' defense fits the defensive linemen the Steelers like to get. The Cam Haywards, the Stefan Tuits, the Tyson Alu Alus, they are good fits for what Brian Flores likes to do with his front seven. Uh, second, it keeps the linebackers clean. It's a defense that likes to keep its linebackers clean so they can run, they can move around, they can do be aggressive. Third, in sub-packages, it doesn't put linebackers in coverage much. He avoids that. He will go dime against you know, a, a three-wide receiver set and blitz five players and just have defensive backs in coverage. And often that strong safety becomes a linebacker, comes up and plays in a linebacker role, which is Terrell Edmonds on the Steelers. Fourth, Flores put his defensive backs in man a lot, in a lot of tough circumstances too, but had really sound good principles to mitigate the threat to them. Patriots cornerbacks always look great. They don't always play good when they go to another team. i say that again. Patriots cornerbacks always seem to look good, but they don't always do good when they go to other teams. That's because they look good because they're put in man defense again, when the team is blitzing a lot. And you can look there and see and say, wow, that defense back's on an island. But they had really good principles. And, again, you're limiting the offensive playbook to something that's more predictable. And that helped those cornerbacks mitigate their threat. There's a reason the Patriots turn out really good-looking quarterbacks, cornerbacks all the time. It's because their defense kind of makes them look good. Not covering for them like the Steelers do. But putting them in tough situations, but giving them tools and making the job easier for them in that situation. Last thing I want to bring up is Minka. A lot is being made about Minka Fitzpatrick and the fact that he wanted to leave the Dolphins team when Flores was the coach. First off, I want to say Minka Fitzpatrick played with Brian Flores for all of two games. And he was unhappy the year before, when he played 16 games without Brian Flores. Minka's problem in Miami was he was a strong safety. He played slot corner. When Flores took over in his defense, the strong safety frequently acts like a linebacker, especially in sub packages. When Minka Fitzpatrick came to Pittsburgh, we were running a lot of, of uh, what middlefield closed or odd man, you know, deep numbers, not split field with a uh, cover two. We were running cover three and we were running single high cover one right? And so we wanted one safety up and one safety in the box. And the first game Minka Fitzpatrick came, we swapped him back and forth between those before quickly realizing Terrell Edmonds wasn't a good free safety and Minka Fitzpatrick was not a good box safety. And once we realized those, we put Minka at free safety, Terrell Edmonds in the box, and then we moved Terrell Edmonds all over the place. But we put Minka Fitzpatrick at free safety full time and he thrived there. When Brian Flores was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, they had Minka Fitzpatrick and a 5'9", 196-pound cornerback, turned free safety, playing as their safeties. Minka was the strong safety. He was asked to play in the box. He was asked to play like a linebacker. It didn't work well for him. And again, that 2019 was largely stripped of talent. The whole defense didn't work well. Minka Fitzpatrick... Will not be asked to play that in Pittsburgh. Brian Flores isn't going to come to Pittsburgh and demand that they play Terrell Edmonds, Terrell Edmonds at free safety, and that Minka Fitzpatrick come down and play like a linebacker in the box. That's not going to happen. So I don't think Minka and Brian Flores are a problem. We never heard that he had specific problems with Brian Flores. He was unhappy with his role in the defense. He will not be playing that role in the Steelers' defense in 2022. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. The last thing I want to cover real quickly, Brian Flores, supposedly hard to work with. We've heard his take on that, that they wanted him to tank, and when he refused, they started spreading rumors that he was hard to work with. But I can get him being hard to work with. His parents are immigrants. If you are, I mean, if you're a Pittsburgh family, you've got somebody who's an immigrant in your background. I mean, like all of us, right? If you knew them, if they were your great grandparents or your grandparents, if you know the part of your family, the people that were the first people born in America, you may understand where I'm getting at with this point. First generation born in America to immigrants who are parents, their parents tend to push them. Drive, drive them and they end up driven to succeed because they're the generation that their family looks at and says, hey, it's, we, we came here to open up the American dream to you and we want you to live it, right? And you're going to get out and you're going to do that. Add to that, Brian Flores grew up in a very rough neighborhood and he made it out. He was scrappy, smart, undersized football player. Football was his way out and he was undersized. He worked hard, worked with that dream. His dream, he had said, was to get into the NFL and make money to move his mom out of Brownsville. Injuries took that away from him. But he got into coaching in the Patriots system, and he was able to do that through being a coach. He also came up in the Patriots system. You don't play games in that system. You don't play politics. You don't things you say things you think the boss wants to hear. If you're that guy, you don't last long, let alone move up pretty quickly as he did in the Patriots system. Now, does that make him hard to deal with? Well, if you're a person who likes yes-men and you like to play politics, absolutely, that makes him hard to deal with. A lot, a lot of the United States of America plays politics and they like hearing yes-men. NFL? People play that game too, especially owners. A lot of owners in the NFL aren't very good at their job, and they just like people to tell them how smart they are and make them feel good and play their little political games and, and you know play public relation games and let's get fans in the seats whether we win games or not. Brian Flores isn't that type of guy, and I think we saw that in what he says and what went down in Miami. Will that be a problem in Pittsburgh? I don't think so. Mike Tomlin has worked with people before that were not the easiest to work with. And Mike Tomlin isn't a guy who wants yes men and who wants to play politics. He's in that in that locker room, he wants he wants to win, right? That's the stealer way. You go say your thing. Mean Joe Green worked here. It didn't matter what he said. It didn't matter how he felt about people. It didn't matter if he hated people inside the locker room with him. He helped them win, and they dealt with it, right? That was all that mattered. Mike Tomlin worked with a legit jagoff in Todd Haley. Go, go watch Hard Knocks of the Browns where Todd Haley was on there. He's a jerk. He's a passive-aggressive jerk. It was fun watching him react to the Browns' dysfunction, but that's a guy who's legitimately hard to work with. Tomlin didn't have a problem working with him. I don't hear about drama with him. Ryan Flores, I don't think is that guy. I think he's a guy that just doesn't have time for your BS. He doesn't have time for your feelings or your drama. He's out here to get the job done. And that's it. I have zero problem with that. I think Mike Tomlin, I think the Steelers will have zero problem with that. I don't think the locker room will have any problem with that. I know Cam Hayward isn't going to have a problem with that. I know TJ Watt's not going to have a problem with that. I don't think anyone else will either. And if they do, well, you know that maybe that's your problem. Maybe that's not his problem. Maybe that's your problem. And I don't think he is going to be a problem for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I do expect that he will be a problem for Pittsburgh Steelers opponents. Thank you very much for this episode. Rain a little long here, especially in the second half, but there was a lot to cover. Thank you for listening. Let's go Steelers. Goodbye. <laughs>